your copy to Matthew chapter, your copy of the Word of God to Matthew chapter 13, please. It seems like we just did this a few days ago. Sundays come quickly. Thank God they do. We get to come and corporately worship Him together. Matthew chapter 13 is where we... Uh, Sowing Seed Among Sinners is our title for the passage that I'm going to speak from this morning. Let me just read a portion of what I will address uh, to refresh your mind and set it in your thinking before we get into the exposition of the verses. Beginning at verse 1. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. I've already told you that sermon title is Sowing Seed Among Sinners. Uh, the first 52 verses of chapter 13 records Jesus' use of parables to teach truth about the kingdom of heaven. We know that this is so because in verse 11, he identifies the subject of his teaching. The kingdom of heaven, in the context of these verses mentioned, refer to the realm or sphere of salvation. There are only two possible relationships people have regarding the kingdom of heaven. Either one is in it, one can be in church, on the church roll, but not be in the kingdom. Being a church member and being in the kingdom of heaven are not necessarily synonymous. The same is true for the ritual baptism. One can be water baptized, but still be on the outside of the kingdom of salvation. In other words, you can go down a dry devil and come up a wet one. No ritual, no act, uh, nothing of the sort can make you a part of the kingdom of heaven. Entrance into the realm of salvation is a matter of a supernatural act done by Almighty God. It's called the new birth. The new birth is a transformation of the soul. It is a change, an eternal change on the, in the life of an individual who has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this new birth is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. He affects that change in man. It's not a work of man, nor is it done by the will of man. It is solely the work of God. The kingdom of heaven is not or should not be a matter of indifference to any human being. You say, why is that? For one's relationship to it is a matter of one's eternal destiny. Frankly, there's nothing more important than being in the kingdom of heaven. 
You may not have much of anything else in this life, uh, but if you're in the kingdom of heaven, you got what matters most eternally. Now, men either receive the gospel of the kingdom, it's preached by Jesus and others, or they reject it. That, that, that's how it really works. Men either receive the gospel and say yes, or they poo-poo it, or they shut it off and they act as if it's unimportant, that it doesn't really matter, it has no concern for them. And so those are the two polar opposite reactions to the gospel of the kingdom. In the first of the seven parables in chapter 13, Jesus discloses why people respond to the gospel differently. In fact, there are four ways in which people respond as elucidated by our Lord in the parable of the sower. I know what you're thinking. You just said there are two responses. Now you say there are four. Well, the first three are those who reject it. And the last one is the one who receives it. The preparations for the articulation of the parable of the sower is seen here in our opening verses. You see Matthew, he's laying out for us the set, setting, the setting the stage for Jesus' uh, tremendous teaching of the parables, and it's their explanation in this verse, in this passage, I should say. Verse 1. That day, those two words are crucial for us to understand. They signal a single day, a day of controversy between Jesus and his enemies. The day he enunciated the parables, it was the same day that he had had the controversies with those who opposed him and opposed his kingdom. In fact, his enemies had uh, leveled false charges against him. They said he did his miracles by Beelzebub. Remember that? Not only that, his family, as you may recall from last week, they wanted to see him because they thought he was beside himself, out of his mind. And so they had to come and take him into custody. That was their desire so they could take care of him. And all along here, that day Jesus was teaching eternal truth. He was disclosing what men needed to know. You know, this is the day when he would share the word of God parables. He was sitting there by the sea. And I'm going to tell you something. This is really not what Matthew is saying, but I can't help but say this. You notice it says it was sitting by the sea. Every time I think about this, I think about the reality that here's the Lord Jesus Christ sitting by the sea that he made. Think about that. Here's the creator of the universe sitting by the sea. And I wonder, what was he thinking as he looked out over the waves and all of that, and he called it into existence? God incarnate, sitting by the sea, the Sea of Galilee. And the rest of the crowd would be such that he'd have to have rooms to get a boat. And he sat down there preparing to teach. And that posture of sitting down was, in fact, uh, the normal posture for um, a rabbi when he would teach his students. You recall in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Jesus sat down and he taught teaching. Now, another reason you sit down is because he's in a boat. Have you ever stood the boat that's moving? Can you imagine you getting ready to say something, boom, you fall over? So, so to steady uh, himself in the, the boat sitting in the current, the waves underneath, he sat down. This is not a yacht, you know. So the crowd was on the beach, standing on the beach. A large crowd to listen to him. 
And he spoke many things to them in parables. Parables. Parable, the word, uh, is from the Greek parabole. And means a comparison. Literally, the idea is putting things side by side. A spiritual truth would often be expressed by laying it alongside, so to speak, a physical example. The parables are physical examples of spiritual truth. Jesus had to do this for those of us who need to understand uh, spiritual realities. We could grasp the things that we don't know, the spiritual realities by the things that we do know. It gives us an entree to understanding when we can look at things that we comprehend like a sower sowing seed about things that we don't understand related to the kingdom. So he used parables. An another way to define a parable is that it is a simple word picture with profound spiritual lessons. Now, I'll tell you, parable, a parable or parables uh, have a twofold function. One, they illustrate and clarify truth for those who have ears to hear. The second function is divine judgment against those who reject the truth and unbelief. In verses 10 through 15, Jesus uh, articulates this reality of the function of parables. Now, this judgment is tempered by divine mercy in this life. In other words, the reason for the parabolic expression of divine truth for those who have rejected it is so that they will not incur greater condemnation. It's mercy. Because when people have more light, more truth, they are more accountable for it. Greater accountability. You'll recall this as we saw earlier in a message in chapter 12, verses 41 and 42. Luke chapter 12, verse 48, also states this, from everyone whom much has been given, much will be required. The light, the truth, the truth that people have, and they reject, the more of it they have, the greater will be their punishment. Hell, by the way, is not equal for all people. I don't comprehend it. I don't think any of us do. But the reality is the Bible does teach us some people in hell, their punishment will be greater than others. They have greater light and their greater sinfulness than others. So that's second function of a parable. Now I read you a moment ago the parable. And now let's look at it under the heading, A Parable Proclaimed. The B portion of verse 3, Behold, the sower went out to sow. The physical example would be unfamiliar to many in an urban setting. But in a rural agricultural society as Israel's was, when Jesus opened his mouth and said, Behold, the sower went out to sow, everybody got it. Even if they weren't farmers, they were familiar with it. Even if you're not a farmer, you probably have a good idea what it is to sow seed. Folk at OU do. Y'all seen it? Yes. On the South Oval. That statue. Man has a bag around his neck and he's throwing seeds. What that means is throwing seeds of knowledge. Now it's worldly knowledge. <laughs> I don't mind that because I'm glad somebody wants to be a doctor. 
I'm glad somebody wants to be a lawyer. But what we're talking about here is spiritual truth. So the idea is sowing that reality. The sower went out to sow. The sower of seed, our broadcaster, would throw his seed into a plowed field. His seed would probably be, be wheat or maybe barley. And in this parable, really, we'll, we'll just throw this in now, Jesus describes the different kinds of soils. And he threw his seed from his bag, and some would fall on the road. He said, beside the road in verse 4, see it there? Beside the road refers to the well-beaten footpaths that separated the fields. There were fields between the grain fields where the, the wheat or the barley would grow up. They would have those footpaths that people traversed, and it would pack it down naturally. That's, in fact, what I believe is happening in chapter 12, verse 1, when Jesus and his disciples, it says there, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. They took those footpaths that separated the grain fields as they were taking grain to eat. Now, what would happen in a dry climate, the pathways where people walked became hard as concrete. And as the sower would uh, throw his seed at the outer edges of the plowed field, some of it would inevitably end up on the hard-packed earth of the footpaths. Obviously, the seed. The seeds could not penetrate the hard layer of the footpath. And, of course, birds would available and they said to one another dinner time and they would eat up the seeds easy pickings for them Jesus continues with his parable and he says in verses 5 and 6 others fell on the rocky places when the field was plowed rocks came to the surface the plowshare, you know, that part of the plow that digs into the ground, the plowshare would only penetrate 8 to 10 inches deep. A limestone layer of rock bed would be hard to detect, but such shallow layer of soil would not be deep enough or moist enough to sustain crops. Didn't mean they wouldn't grow up, because it says in verse 5, immediately they sprang up. The seed goes in and germinates, but as almost, almost as soon as it looks lush, it will wither away from a lack of sufficient water. The roots can't get past the, uh, the limestone layer. Can't get down deeply enough. There's no depth of soil. So it springs up, it looks, whoa, it's looking promising, but it is not, and it can't get the moisture, and then guess what? The sun comes up, and the effect of the sun causes it to wither away. And then, of course, in verse 7, third one, the third type of soil fell among thorns. The, this is weed-infested soil. It is full of useless vegetation, thorns, nettles. 
I said, you know, I, when I uh, thought about this, this nettles things, I said, I wonder if people know what nettles are. You probably don't sit around thinking about nettles. Nettle, a nettle is a uh, plant with stinging hairs. Wonderful, isn't it? Then there are thistles. You have prickly stems and leaves. Thorns and thistles are useless for any agricultural purpose. Beyond that, they're just harmful for crops because they take over the fields and choke out everything else. So Jesus is telling us, he's setting up uh, the reality of what goes on in the spiritual realm by putting in our minds what happens in the agricultural realm so we can make the comparison and get the message. But uh, well, something else is really fascinating here. You know, when our Lord talks about this, talks about the thorns and all the other things that grow up there. This is a, a feature, a key one, of the curse. The curse. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 17, if you'd like to go there, you may. There's no restriction on your use of your Bible or your mobile device. Genesis chapter 3. Remember Adam sinned. He listened to the voice of his wife, the Bible says, in 3.17, and he ate from the tree which God had commanded him not to do. When he said, you shall not eat from it, Genesis 3.17. And God said, pronouncing a curse, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Get this, verse 18, but thorns and thistles shall grow for you. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Notice something. Haven't you noticed this, that weeds grow faster and better than anything else? That's why I never wanted to be a flower gardener. Because you have to really work that stuff. My wife does it, and I said, God bless you. <laughs> Too much work. Killing weeds and all of that, nah, no thanks. This part, the curse. So the next time you, you see some weeds... Just, just understand, that's the curse that's on nature. It's a key feature of it. Ground. Then, back in Matthew chapter 13, we come to verse 8. The fourth kind of soil. It's the fertile soil. It's the good soil. And he yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The seed that lands in the plowed fields flourishes. It gets down into the soil. It's down deep. And then there's this tremendous um, yield, a hundredfold. It's not the number of seeds each seed would yield. In fact, a single pumpkin seed, I've read, for example, can produce 10 to 15 pumpkins. 
the expression a hundredfold that speaks of the return on the farmer's financial investment. In fact, a hundredfold is a staggering um, profit. And then Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. He's saying, pay attention with a believing heart. Look beyond the surface for the true meaning. Now, verses 10 through 15, logically placed here by Matthew, but I'm not going to do that, those verses today. Y'all don't mind, do you? Good thing, because I'm not. (laughs) That's for next week. What I want to do, we've seen the parable proclaimed. Now we want to hear the parable explained. So if we will, let's look at verse 18. Our Lord Jesus here begins the explanation of this parable. And he's doing it for his people, his men, those who belong to him. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown by the road. Jesus here obviously begins to explain uh, the parable to his disciples. They're the privileged ones, as verse 11 tells us. The word of the kingdom is the gospel message that was preached by the sower, the evangelist. Of course, Jesus was the sower. He's the first one. And anyone else who proclaims the gospel of the kingdom, the message of salvation is a sower of the word. When you preach Christ to the lost, you are sowing, you are spreading the gospel. That's what you're doing. You're sowing seed among sinners. You're communicating the truth of the gospel to those who need to hear it. That's what you do when you share Christ. That's what you do when you tell people about him and his death, burial, and resurrection, and eternal life, and all the things that are related to the gospel, the good news. You are a sower of the word of the kingdom. That's what we all do as believers. Here in the text... Jesus equates the soils with the heart. You notice it says what has been sown in his heart. His heart. Let me just stop and explain something here that is critical to us for us to understand. He conveys the condition of the heart's heart. The unconverted heart, the depraved heart. When we work our way through this, what Jesus is saying, he is talking about in the first three, for example, uh, the condition of the heart. The human heart is corrupt. It's sinful. Left to itself, it is utterly unreceptive to the seed or the word of God. It can't be otherwise. Have you ever wondered why it is that people just do not get it? They can't. Do you wonder why do they reject Christ and reject the gospel? The very things you love, you receive, well, they can't. Their heart's depraved. That's the true nature of the human heart. 
When someone says about people generally, he has a good heart, I say, if he's not a Christian, he doesn't. He has a depraved heart. That's the biblical diagnosis. Jesus is the diagnostician, and he says that the heart is corrupt. His diagnosis is perfectly accurate. The heart, the inner being of man is corrupted by his fall, by his sin, his alienation from God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You don't understand anthropology, the study of man, until you understand biblical anthropology. Biblical anthropology tells us about man as he really is. He's a corrupt sinner. He is controlled by the principle of sin. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Jeremiah goes on to say in the 10th verse, I, the Lord, who searched the heart. <laughs> and of course, the Lord Jesus Christ does. He tells us the true nature of the fallen man's heart. So we come here in verse 19. He's really talking about the hardened heart. The hardened heart. That's a sub point. Uh, the hardened heart. Mm. And the corresponds or compares to the words beside the road the hard packed pathway this heart is impervious to biblical truth the person with this heart like all of them except for the final one is spiritually dead he's dead in sins and transgressions he does not understand the gospel, not due to any effect in the word of God, but to his own hard-heartedness. That's why he doesn't understand it, because he's hard-hearted. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. Nothing wrong with the gospel. The problem lies in the human heart. People with hearts like this are stiff-necked. Jeremiah 19.15 says, They have stiffened their necks so as not to heed my words. What Bible says. They love sin. They don't want the truth because they love iniquity. They love darkness. You notice something here in verse 19. It says the evil one, when they refuse it, don't understand it because of the hardness of heart. Satan comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. I'll tell you something about Satan. He does not want people to be saved. In Luke chapter 8, verse 12, in the parallel accounting of this very parable, the Lord Jesus says here in verse 12, the same in our passage in Matthew, so that they will not believe and be saved. Satan wants people to be damned forever. 
He is working mightily along with his minions uh, to keep the gospel away from people, to snatch it away from their hearts because he does not want them to believe the gospel and come to saving faith. He knows he's damned and he wants others to be condemned to hell as well. So he's operative in the life of unbelievers. So you have a hard-hearted individual, someone who loves their sin, and you have Satan say, oh, good, you, you're just what I want. The gospel's been sown, they've heard it, and they don't understand it. Satan comes on, let me take it out of, out of you. See, now the question is, how does Satan do this? He has many devices, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. He uses deceit, for example. He is the father of lies, John 8, 44. He confuses people with false teaching and false teachers who attack the truth of God's word. We have that abounding in the world and in our nation. There are false teachers confusing people with false teaching and snatches the true gospel from them. Pride. It's another matter. Pride blinds people to their true condition and need for salvation. He stokes that. So the people remain lost in their sin. Verses 20 and 21, we move to the superficial hearer. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places. And this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. The superficial hearer is just that, superficial. He seems to embrace the gospel. He seems to be receptive. He seems, oh, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. He's enthusiastic. He's telling everybody about it. I've come to Jesus. But their apparent receptivity is just that. Apparent is not authentic faith. Not authentic faith. They believe, you'll notice, for a little while. Verse 21, yet he has no firm root in himself, but only is only temporary. There's an intellectual acceptance of the gospel, but it has not really gotten into the heart. In fact, it is possible to believe and yet not be saved. John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. That's why Jesus wouldn't commit himself to those who believe because he knew what was in man and he didn't entrust himself to them because he knew their belief wasn't genuine. It wasn't really deep. It wasn't a real commitment to him. He had joy but no root. No root in himself. Surface, no depth. The change is on the surface rather than the depths of the heart. Without deep roots, vegetation cannot last long in a dry climate. It, it grows green and leafy quickly, but dies just as quickly. That's how this man's faith is. And you, you know what happens, don't you? It's clear. Just, just wait. His shallowness will be exposed by the afflictions of persecutions that arise because of the word. Afflictions, life, calamities. And I can imagine what happens. Some people, uh, they hear the gospel, they believe it. Perhaps they heard a false gospel where somebody told them, guess what, all you need to come, Jesus will fix your life. He will fix your sorrows. He'll, mend, he'll do this and he'll do that. You haven't come, come to Jesus. He'll take care, not necessarily so. 
Jesus never says, come to me so I can fix all the mess in your life relative to the sorrows that you have. No, no, you come, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's what he calls us to do. Another, he's not going to make you wealthy. You might get sick. Life's calamities come and they realize, wow, mm, this Jesus thing ain't working out. Then persecution comes and because of the word and exposes what they really are, the word. You see what happens, friends and family, co-workers, etc., criticize him for his faith and he becomes ashamed of the gospel and he renounces it. The reality is he never experienced the new birth. The superficial hearer never has come to saving faith in Christ. He has never been transformed by the new birth from above. And here's that word, immediately. Matthew uses it in verse 20. He uses it again. He falls away. He abandoned the faith completely. Now, the book of Hebrews tells us something about true believers. And this you want to note, because this is important. Whereas a superficial hearer will believe for a little while, but here's what the Bible says about the true believer. Hebrews 3.14 for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Assurance can be rendered confidence, steadfast to the end. True believers can understand that they have really truly become partakers of Christ. They really belong to Christ if they stay faithful to Christ until the end. They do not give it up. They do. Perseverance is critical. It's, it's, in fact, perseverance is a mark of true salvation. In the book of Colossians, the Word of God teaches the same thing. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, it reads, I'm going to read, uh, no, I'm going to start at verse um, 21. It says this, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That will be in the future. If indeed, verse 23, you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. If you don't move away from the gospel. True saints will not move away from the gospel. They will not abandon the faith. True Christians persevere in the faith because they are genu genuinely repented of their sins and have truly believed in Christ. Perseverance in the faith is a mark of the truly redeemed. In fact, all of God's elect people will persevere. They will remain faithful to Christ until the end. 
The next one is the worldly hearer, hearer of gospel. And then verse 22 of Matthew 13. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. It's the man who hears the words, the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This person is too in love with the world. The world is his thing. The cares and riches and pleasures of this life, that's the problem. They've heard the word, but um, they love this life. In fact, it seems like they're pursuing the life of faith. In Luke chapter 8, verse 14, it says they are choked with worries. And um, It says, no, first, in the middle of the verse, and as they go on their way, they're choked with worries. The phrase there in 8.14 of Luke, it says, and as they go on their way, pursuing the life of faith. While they seem to be doing that, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. preoccupied with the words of the world. There's no spiritual fruit. Because the world is their thing. They love it. Mark, same thing. He says in verse 19, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. People have heard the word. They go on and look like they're pursuing the faith, and you wonder what happened to them. Well, the reality is uh, they were diverted by desire for other things. The word wasn't important to them. They become unfruitful. The worry of the world and all of that preoccupation with those things blinds him to the importance of the gospel and eternal things. Let me tell you something. There is nothing more important than the gospel and eternal things. I hope you understand that. Nothing more important than that. Well, uh, this guy um, here says um, riches. I I need to say something about riches. There's nothing wrong with wealth itself. It's not inherently evil. But it is evil to love the gift more than the giver. That's what happens to people who desire things of the world. Chokes out the true gospel. Now, Matthew tells us the final heart, the fruitful hearer. The fruitful hearer. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold some sixty and some thirty this is the heart that has been prepared and cultivated by God this is the heart that is regenerated the heart that the spirit of God has transformed and he receives therefore the word he believes the word 
He hears the word and understands it. Mark chapter 4, verse 20 says this, and accepts it. Mark 4, 20, and accepts the word. He does not simply accept the gospel mentally. It's not simply an intellectual apprehension of it. It is a transformation of his life. That's what it means he accepts it. It transforms him on the inside. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, it says he holds fast to it. He holds on to the truth. He's got the truth, and you're not going to pair it out, uh, pull it out of his hands, as it were. He's holding on. This is the saved man. This is the saved woman. Of all four soils, only the fourth one is the one who, exact, who has come to faith in Christ, who's entered the kingdom. And you notice, verse 23, fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Fruits of righteousness. Philippians chapter 1, verse 11. That's what happens. Let me tell you something else. All believers are fruitful. There is no such thing as a non-fruit-bearing Christian. If a person says, I'm a Christian, there is no spiritual fruit, no righteousness, no life of Christ ex being exhibited in their life, that person is not bearing fruit. That person is not a Christian. You notice, it says, brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty, all of those who are good soil, who are regenerated, will bring forth fruit. The difference is the amount. That's all it is. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Believers differ in fruit bearing because they differ in obedience. But get the word, they are obedient. They will bear much fruit. Even 30-fold is a lot. True Christians will be fruitful. So you see, that's what Jesus is telling us. Let me conclude. We must remember that when we proclaim the gospel or teach the word of God to our neighbors, friends, and loved ones, the results will always vary depending on the condition of the heart. Keep that in mind. As you're sowing the seed among people, you don't know what they're like. You don't know their heart. Only God knows that. All you can do is sow the seed. Success or failure is not dependent on our skill. You don't have to be, try to be some skillful sower as if somehow your skill is going to succeed in bringing them to Christ. You can't do that. All you're called to do is sow the seed. All I'm called to do is proclaim the gospel. There's nothing wrong with the seed, by the way. So when people refuse it, don't think, well, maybe I need to change my method or get me some other... No, no, no. It's nothing wrong with the seed. It's something wrong with the person. We must be faithful in sowing seed among sinners and get this, there will be some cultivated hearts on which the seed will land. I know you've had this experience. I have. 
where you share the gospel with people and then you're su almost surprised when you run across somebody that says, yes, I, I believe. And they come to faith in Christ. I mentioned a moment ago and I'm going to mention it again. We can't tell whose heart is prepared by the way they look or anything else. We cannot know the condition of any individual's heart. It's not for us to know. We must just proclaim Christ to one and to all. That's our job. As sowers of seed among sinners. Now, you're here this morning. I don't know what your condition is. Perhaps you've um, came for whatever reason today, but you're, you're not a believer. You've heard the gospel. Let me tell you what it is. Christ Jesus died on a cross. He was buried in a grave, and he was raised from it. He is alive forevermore, and he calls men and women to himself in repentance and faith. That's the good news. He calls men to, if you want to follow him, you want him, you deny yourself, your sinful self, that's repentance. You take up your cross, you commit yourself to him, say, I I'm going to follow you no matter what it may cost me in the future, even if it means I'm going to follow you, Jesus. You died on the cross as a substitute for sinners, and I'm receiving you. And then he says, follow me. You submit to his lordship. He's Lord. He is the one over our life. He invites you to come to him. Nothing better than anybody can do it than come to Jesus Christ, right? Amen. There are people, I'm, I'm almost certain of this, who now wish they had a, it's too late, they're dead. Come to Christ while you can. He's available. We're, uh, we're going to give you the opportunity in a moment. Let's bow together in prayer. Father and our God, we thank you for the word of God and his truth. We thank you for the kingdom, the realm of salvation over which you rule in the hearts of those who believe in you. We pray that you add to your kingdom even this hour. We ask you to do it for your own sake, your own glory, and for the receiving person's eternal well-being. We pray these things in Christ's glorious name. Amen.